It's good to be able to be here with you and to, to share a few minutes on how to give more effective personal Bible studies. How many of you have given Bible studies before? Maybe some of you? Okay. Uh, for many people, I find especially for young people, there's something intimidating about giving Bible studies. But uh, hopefully that uh, by the time we're finished, some of that intimidation factor will have been alleviated and you'll be more comfortable and have some new ideas as to how to to give them more effectively. <clears throat> Can you hear me? <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and, and bow our heads forward of prayer. Father, today we are grateful that you've given us the opportunity to study your word and to share it with others. And now as we take some time out of our Sabbath afternoon to to hopefully make our witnessing more effective, our sharing more effective, I just want to pray that you would give us clear minds, that you'll give us good memories, help us to be able to learn something that we can take from this afternoon meeting and make us more effective witnesses for you. And we thank you for this gift in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you, first of all, just a little bit about the history of uh, Bible studies. It actually began in a camp meeting. Now, in Adventist history, there, uh, there were these events we call camp meetings that were actually very different from the camp meetings that we have today. Um, today, most of our Adventist camp meetings are a group of Adventists that get together, and uh, and we have we have well, we won't. We'll, it varies depending on where you are, what you have. But basically, a weekend or maybe a week, and and some Adventist preacher that comes in. In those days, in the early Adventist history, the camp meetings were actually evangelistic events. Camp meetings were when they invited the community to come and hear Adventist teaching and Adventist theology. And uh, so we actually have some very large camp meetings in Adventist history. As many as 15,000 people would come to an Adventist camp meeting. That's bigger than even the Michigan Conference camp meeting. It has about 10,000 or so every, every summer. Can you imagine 15,000 people? They, it was so many people that they had to, they literally, the rail companies would build a new rail line out to the camp meeting site so that the people could come to the Adventist camp meetings. So in those days, uh, you can imagine that you get a, a lot of people, maybe even thousands of people together in one tent or one field with no PA system. And it was a challenge just to be able to hear in the very back. I suppose the audiences were quiet, but I suppose also people learned to use their diaphragm and to speak quite uh, forcefully like Peter Gregory. So, uh, at any rate, one of these camp meetings, uh, I believe it was S.N. Haskell was speaking, and there came a, a terrific storm. Now, just put yourself in a tent in the middle of a field with a terrific thunderstorm. And you can imagine that it wasn't very far away from the pulpit that it was impossible to hear anything at all. In fact, there were camp meetings where the camp meetings had to be suspended until the storms passed because you just couldn't hear anything being preached. No PA system, rain hitting the tent, thunder and lightning, and, and you just couldn't have a service. Lesson Haskell had this idea. He decided that he would go ahead and continue his subject anyway. Only he would have to be a little more creative. 
And so he, he had the whole congregation divide into small groups, a dozen or so in each circle. And then he, he would, he would ask a question that would be sort of passed along, you know, throughout the, the tent. And after the question, he would ask a Bible verse. And the, the point was that the people could hear this question and Bible verse and pass it on to the next group and throughout it would sort of spread around the, the tent. And then the people would keep the question in mind and they would look up the Bible verse and they would read it and they would spend a few minutes discussing it before he would go on to the next question and Bible verse. And he found that it was actually quite an effective way to teach. Have you ever read a book that was basically a question and answer format? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. They're actually very interesting. They can be very effective ways to teach. You remember things very well. They ask a question, maybe in bold print, and then there's a paragraph or two answering the question. And so, uh, sometime shortly thereafter, Ellen White wrote about this experience. I don't think she was at that meeting, but she heard about it. And she wrote something along the effect that this was the type of of work she saw would take place in the last days. And they began calling these this format of Bible study with a question and an answer from the Bible, Bible readings. You've heard of Bible readings, haven't you? Bible readings were was the term that the uh, early Adventists used for a, a personal Bible study using a question and answer format. And in fact, with Ellen White's encouragement, this became such a popular way of witnessing and sharing the Adventist faith that people became Bible instructors. That actually wasn't used until quite a few years later, that term. But they became Bible instructors, or sometimes they were referred to as canvassers, because they would go into a community with Christian literature. They would find someone to stay with, to live with, while they were there in that town, and they would, they would give Bible readings. And whenever you, whenever you read the term Bible readings, you can substitute in modern language the term Bible studies. That's what they were doing. They were giving Bible readings. And in fact, they began publishing, the Adventist Church began publishing a, a, a magazine for Bible instructors. This magazine would include new Bible readings every so often. In fact, every issue had a new Bible reading on a different subject. Again, the same format, a question in bold print and then the answer to be found from a text or a passage of scripture. And if you were a Bible instructor or a Bible worker, canvasser, as you were probably called in those days, if you were a canvasser, you would get this magazine and you would collect those Bible readings because they were useful. You know, if someone had a question on this topic or that topic or another topic about what Adventists believe, you had a Bible reading that was already prepared and ready for you. And you could give it. And it was very a very convincing way to share the truth. In fact, finally, they had an idea. Let's take all of these weekly or monthly Bible readings that have been published in this periodically, periodical, and let's collect them and publish them in a book. 
Bible readings for the home circle. That's exactly what they called it. Bible readings for the home circle. And the idea was now they could sell the book called Bible readings for the home circle and they could, people could give themselves Bible studies, you see? And you could, you could actually sell this book. And there, it was a big book at first. I mean, there were hundreds of topics. Bible readings on almost every subject imaginable. It's a fascinating book. If you ever get a chance, find an original Bible readings for the home circle. It'd be worth, it'd be a worthwhile investment. They're good books. Good Bible studies. Good solid Bible studies. Today we have in the canvassing work, at least in the MAGA book work, we have a, a distillation or a condensed version of the Bible readings for the home circle still sold by call porters today with the same Bible studies. We call it God's answers to your questions. And uh, when you canvas this book, you know, of course, you put it in their hand and you open it up and you say, now you notice that the, the questions are in bold print. The answer is simply a text straight from the Bible. That's what the power of the Bible uh, readings were. The, the questions came, uh, the answers came straight from the Bible. Now, if we look, I want to I look a little bit at a couple of statements from the Bible and from the spirit of prophecy. Acts 1a, we read today, you should be witnesses to me uh, to the ends of the earth. Um, if we continue, maybe I need to be... Mark 16 and verse 15 says, uh, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Gospel workers, page 29. The commissioning given to the disciples is given also to us. Today, as then a crucified and risen Savior is to be uplifted before those who are without God and without hope in the world. And so, aha, there it is. Um, so we have a responsibility. I, it, somehow in the Middle Ages, there developed a clear distinction between the clergy and the laity, you understand? That wasn't really existing in the early Christian church. The laity included the elders and the deacons and yes, but they were, they were very active in the work of ministry and uh, teaching the Bible. I mean, Stephen is just a deacon. He's considered an evangelist, right? They were preaching. They were teaching. They were sharing. Today, we, uh, we seem to have, uh, established or adopted the established segregation between clergy and laity. So we think that it's the pastor's job to do evangelism. It's the pastor's job to give Bible studies. But really, the gospel commission is to every believer, isn't it? It really does devolve upon us. It says, how can the great work of the third angel's message be accomplished? It must be largely accomplished by persevering. What kind of effort? Individual effort. By visiting the people in their homes. Yes, we believe as Adventists in the media ministry and in, in satellite television and radio and all the wonderful technology that allows us to, to blanket large populations at once. But the work will largely be accomplished by individual effort. By visiting people in their homes. This house-to-house -house labor, searching for souls, hunting for the lost sheep, is the most essential work that can be done. Evangelism, page 400. And 31. Preaching is great, but one-on-one -on -one work occupied most of Christ's time. And, uh, and we need to not neglect this work as, as well. Gospel Workers, page 468. It is not preaching that is the most important. It is 
house-to-house work. Evangelism, page 433. For years I have been shown that house-to-house labor is the work that will make the preaching of the word a success. Personal labor, house-to-house effort is the what will make the preaching of the word a success. And so, Christian service. Page 12. Wherever a church is established, all the members... How many of the members? All the members should engage actively in missionary work. They should visit every family in the neighborhood and know their spiritual condition. You understand, the pastor can't do that job for you, can he? The pastor can't be friendly and outgoing to all of your neighbors. and Yet that's the, that's the role of the Christian. We're not just to witness when there's prescribed times or activities for witnessing. We're to be friendly and affable. I wish I had time. Um, I have one uh, presentation I call Witnessing as a Way of Life. The greatest witnesses, as it were, those who influenced entire nations to a knowledge of the true God, didn't do so by a prescribed activity. Men like Abraham and Joseph and Daniel and even I include Naaman's little maid. They didn't witness twice a week in the evening for two hours. You understand? They didn't witness on Sabbath afternoon during personal ministries time or lay activities time. They were witnesses wherever they went. And Abraham was so nice to his neighbors and helped them and was friendly that they respected him. And they knew something was different about it. We could go through it. We don't have time to go through the whole thing. But you understand, it's, it's your, you have a circle of influence of surroundings and associates that your pastor doesn't have and your fellow church members don't have. And we each have that circle, that network that we have an opportunity to brush shoulders with and to get to know and to understand. And it says they should visit every family in the neighborhood and know their spiritual condition. That's a pretty personal work, isn't it? Now, that doesn't mean you knock on the door and you have to take a survey. Nothing wrong with surveys. But you need to know your neighbors. Maybe it's not neighbors in this culture. Maybe it's the people you work with. You understand? Maybe it's it's other people that are close to you. But we need to get to know people on a personal level so that we know what their spiritual condition is. Now, um, Ellen White spoke of this whole idea. I already told you the story of how Bible readings were invented, as it were. And um, she says here in Gospel Workers, page 192, if you can read that, sort of small print. The plan of holding Bible readings was a heaven-born idea. There are many, both men and women, who can engage in this branch of missionary labor. Workers may thus be developed who will become mighty men of God. By this means, the word of God has been given to thousands, and the workers are brought into personal contact with people of all nations and tongues. The Bible is brought into families, and its sacred truths come home to the, to the conscience. Notice, notice some of the, the descriptive terms she uses about Bible readings and the benefits of Bible readings. It says, for one, the Bible is brought into the families. You see the benefit of having a Bible brought into the family versus the family brought out to a meeting? It becomes a part of the, fo- the, the home itself. And it, it encourages the establishment of a, a home altar. Men are entreated to read, examine, and judge for themselves. Do you notice that? They are not simply told something, like in a preaching service. They're entreated to read, examine, and judge for themselves. 
a characteristic of a good Bible reading or Bible study. They're entreated to read, judge, examine, and judge for themselves. And they must abide the responsibility of receiving or rejecting the divine enlightenment. Right here in this passage, we have some important clues as to how Bible studies are to be given. A Bible study, my friend, is not to be a personal sermon that's presented. (laughs) Right? We're not to go to a home and, and tell them everything that we know on the subject. A Bible reading or a Bible study is meant to be where we take the Bible into the home, let them read it for themselves, examine it for themselves, and judge what it means, and then recognize that they have to abide by the consequences of truth. They have to make a decision, in other words. They have to accept it or reject it. They have to, they have to understand it for themselves. God will not permit this precious work for him to go unrewarded. He will crown with success every humble effort made in his name. That's a promise we can claim, isn't it? God will not allow this humble effort to go unrewarded. Desire of Ages, page 195, says, Every true disciple is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. And so, I don't believe that it's just for the pastor. It's for each of us. God expects personal service from everyone to whom he has entrusted a knowledge of the truth for this time. Not all can go as missionaries to foreign lands, but all can go can be home missionaries in their families and neighborhoods. Testimonies, Volume 4, page 53. To save souls should be the life work. The what? The life work of how many? Everyone who professes Christ. You know what? I have a burden for this. I really believe that we as Adventists need to get over this distinction between clergy and laity. I really believe that we need to have every Adventist young person raised with the concept that no matter what vocation or profession, occupation they choose, they have a calling that supersedes it, and that is to win souls for Jesus, to be a missionary. And so every every career that we teach in an Adventist school should include equipping those students to be effective gospel missionaries. Not just the religion majors or theology majors. Every career should include that. Don't you think so? To save souls should be the life work of everyone who professes Christ. Now, I'm going to go through some of the nuts and bolts of Bible studies and how to find Bible studies, I understand that there are about 3,000 people, 4,000 people, who have gone through the Messiah's mansion already in the last however many days it's been here. How long has it been here? Eight days. They have another week to go. So there could be six or 8,000 people who have gone through. And I believe that there is expected to be several hundred people by the end of this program, who have, ex- who have requested Bible studies. So what I'm saying to you right now in the next couple minutes may not, seem, may not be very relevant because you, you may have already more Bible studies than you can handle. That'd be a wonderful challenge, wouldn't it? A wonderful challenge. But I want to just, anyway, give you a couple ideas of where you can find Bible study interests. Church visitor records. You ever, you, how many of you have seen the church visitor book that you sign in? Yeah, I wonder sometimes what happens to those. 
when I sign or when someone else signs. Very often visitors, not Adventist visitors, that come to Adventist churches and they never have anything done by way of follow-up. You can look through the church visitor records, find people that come on a regular basis, and um, they could be uh, Bible study contact, literature evangelism leads, uh, outreach ministry databases. This is what I, the um, it is written and amazing facts and and all the different uh, media ministries. They keep a database of the people that write in for information to them. Your pastor can obtain a copy of these databases. And often, there will be people in your area who have requested books upon, on the Sabbath, who have even, even completed a Voice of Prophecy Bible school. Who could use a personal visit? And too often, they also are not receiving that personal visit. Door-to-door surveys. We could, we could spend some time with that. I don't think I will right now. How many of you have had the opportunity to take surveys door-to-door? Some of you? Okay, so you're familiar with the concept. Maybe you, you could obtain a survey from some. By the way, taking a door-to-door survey is a very non-confrontational way. Most people don't mind. They sort of feel like their, their, um, their opinion matters, you know, and they like to share what they think. And um, I found if you've, if you've call-portered or canvassed, it's really a lot easier to take surveys because you're not trying to, they don't think you're trying to sell something. You know, you're asking them for a favor and they're usually willing to help. So door-to-door surveys, you will find people who have uh, interest in taking Bible studies. You will. You'll find them that way. Um, depending on your neighborhood, there may be more than you expect. By word of mouth, you know, sometimes I really think that the most important way we should find Bible studies is simply by talking to the people around us. Simply by talking to people around us. We can, we, we have so many secular conversations with people who are really would be searching. If, they are searching. We just don't know it because we haven't gotten to that level in our conversations. It's amazing for me as I travel a lot to be able to sit next to people and talk to them. Sometimes, sometimes, by the way, I do my very best to talk to someone and once we start talking about spiritual things, they shut me out. That's true. That's reality. Listen, we can't, we can't think that because, because they shut us out that we've failed or we've done the wrong thing or we said the wrong thing. Sometimes we did. But not always, right? They have freedom of choice and God respects their freedom of choice. Just recently I sat next to a, a lady on a flight and she was traveling from London to Accra and um, going back home. Her, her son lived in London, or maybe it was the other way around. Her son lived in London. She was Ghanaian. And um, she said, uh, she said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I was involved in organizing an evangelistic missions program for students. She said, oh, my son is a Seventh-day Adventist. Could he participate in something like that? I thought, that's... That's strange. I mean, what's the odds? You, you sit down next to somebody, and in the second sentence, she tells you her son's an Adventist. I said, how old is he? Oh, he's 16. How did he become an Adventist? You know, I tried for the next about 15 minutes to have a conversation with her that would lead to her spiritual condition. But as soon as I got to her situation, she always threw up a wall. Boom. And finally, she just rolled over and went to sleep. And you have to say, why, Lord? This seems like a divine appointment. Why? 
Don't feel like your work is a failure when you're witnessing and sharing just because they don't say, where can I be baptized? You know, statistically, every person who joins the Seventh-day Adventist church has had seven to nine contacts, positive contacts, with Seventh-day Adventists. Now, we all want to be the seventh or the ninth person, right? But we should be willing to be the first and second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth too, right? We should be willing to be used by God to plant seeds that can be watered. And often, you remember what happens when people close their minds, they try to avoid you, they maybe get angry. Some of you who were here last night, what is that an indication of? Conviction. Don't feel your work's a failure. The Holy Spirit is working. And you have to trust that He's going to take the seeds that you plant and continue to use them, continue to water them. And so, uh, word of mouth, conversation, personal conversation is one of the ways that you can obtain Bible study contacts. By the way, in most Adventist churches, there are regularly attending non-Adventist people. Most Adventist churches, it may be an adult child, it may be a spouse, but in almost every Adventist church, there are some who have come regularly to church, some who may even believe the message, but have not been baptized. I've seen many, many churches with, with, with multiple people coming, and you ask them if they have anyone. No, they don't think of anyone. They haven't thought about it very carefully. And so these are people that we can, we can invite. Would, you know, what's preventing you from joining the Adventist church? What's preventing you? Would you like to study? Would you like to study and understand better what we believe? With the idea of, you know, perhaps in the future making a decision to become an Adventist. And many people just haven't been asked. Many people haven't been asked. Now, Bible studies. We're going to talk a little bit today about the Sanctuary Bible study. I'm not sure exactly what your group is going to do, and so I'm trying here to to present a, uh, some basic practical tips that will help you no matter what type of Bible study you're giving. But as you know, or the the sanctuary has its own way of teaching the Adventist message, the truth, the gospel for this time. And so, in the sanctuary. Uh, these people who have come and, and have seen this visible depiction, when they request Bible studies, it's, it's quite likely they might be interested in a study that's based on the sanctuary system. And so Pastor Don McIntosh of the Three Angels Church in Wichita has written a set of Bible studies that go along with the sanctuary service. And it teaches the Adventist message. And so we're going to look at that for an example here a little later. But... I want, I want to, sh- to share with you a couple other uh, pointers. If you're going to use, if you're going to be choosing your own set of Bible studies, choose a set that includes the complete Seventh-day Adventist message. You might choose, there may be a nice, beautiful, well-designed set of Bible studies on what the Bible teaches about conservation or something. You understand? Or maybe it's about simply about how to study the Bible and understand it and pray or something like that. Those may be a perfect set of Bible studies. But I recommend that if you're going to use a set of Bible studies, you use a set that includes 
the entire message, a complete message. Why? Because very often, there's something about our human nature. We want to perhaps finish what we start. We want to get to the end. We want a sense of accomplishment. You start a series of lessons that just prepares someone, let's say, to understand the Sabbath, and you get to the end of the series. They're accustomed to this lesson. They're accustomed. When they feel like they've finished, you see. And now they're, now they're done. They've, they've done their duty. They've studied the Bible. But if you have a series of lessons that includes the rest of the Adventist message, and every week they know, they know the next one is going to be a part of this same series and it's going to build on what we've already learned, then they're more likely, in my experience, they're more likely to, to finish the, the lessons, to actually study the complete message. It's preferably, uh, preferably you want to use a series of Bible studies that are intended as personal studies. Some have been in, uh, intended just as, you know, some sort of a mail-out brochure or something. Some are intended as correspondence lessons. Now, there's not a lot of difference between a correspondence lesson and a personal study, but there is a difference. There are some differences. And so preferably something that is intended as personal Bible studies. We're going to look at some of the characteristics of a Bible study a little later. Uh, make sure there is a commitment or plan your own. At the end of every Bible study, you want to lead the person to make a decision based upon what they've learned. You see, the work of the gospel is amazing. The Holy Spirit works upon a person's heart. And like Jesus, Jesus depicted the Holy Spirit as, as the wind, right? You don't know where it came from or where it's going. You really don't have any control over it, but you can see when it's working. And when the Holy Spirit, I believe the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God. Like human words don't work. I mean, you have a person read the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit has access to his heart that it doesn't have when I'm just speaking to them. So the Holy Spirit's working on the heart. The person is being moved and convicted, right? Now we have a prime opportunity because whenever the Holy Spirit works upon a human heart, whenever truth comes into the mind and light comes into the understanding, the person cannot remain the same. They are either going to be drawn closer to God and their hearts softened and subdued and more open to truth because they accept what they learn or their heart will become closed and hardened because they reject what they learned or they just simply do nothing about it. You cannot understand truth and remain the same. You know the Bible talks about the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, right? How did God harden Pharaoh's heart? He hardened him. He hardened his heart by manifesting his power and his abilities to Pharaoh. But it was Pharaoh's choice, wasn't it? That led to his heart actually being hardened. You see, the sun shines on a ball of clay and a ball of wax. What happens to the ball of wax when the sun shines upon it? It melts it. What happens to the ball of clay? It hardens. The same sun does opposite, opposite things. And so you and I, we do choose what kind of soil we are, don't we? We choose what kind of hearts we have. And yes, the Lord shined His truth upon Pharaoh. And Pharaoh chose, unfortunately, to harden his heart. And so that truth only served to close his mind because of his choices. So what I'm trying to say to you is, 
You cannot hear the word of truth and remain the same. A person cannot understand the Bible and remain the same. And they must learn that if it's truth and they see it clearly, they should be willing to follow it. If they're not willing to follow it, you've not done them service. I remember my first evangelistic series. I could tell you quite a few stories about my first evangelistic series. Um, There's a few people who were there. Um, Yeah, well, one of the things that I didn't really know how to do, I had no idea how to make appeals. How effective do you think you are as an evangelist if you don't know how to make appeals? You can convince a lot of people. You can have good arguments. But if you just tell it to the people and they say, oh, go home and pray about it. You need to bring people to make decisions. I learned a lot my first time around. A Bible study is only as good as its commitment at the end. There are many sets of personal Bible studies that may not have an outright commitment. Make sure you have a commitment that is fitting for what you've studied. If you've studied about the Bible as the Word of God, then your commitment should be something like, I want to make the Bible the guide of and the rule from living my life. Commitment. You understand? A decision based upon what the Bible study um, taught, what the Bible study said. Now, there are some who believe that they feel more comfortable writing their own Bible studies. Uh, to, to that idea, I simply say, be organized and plan ahead. Be organized and plan ahead. I really do not believe in the philosophy that we should just take our Bible in concordance and show up at the Bible study and ask them, what do you want to study today? Now, that goes very well for a while for some people. You'll find people have a million questions. And so they, they come today and and they're... They're uh, excited about some question they have, so they ask you. And let me tell you, it's a teachable moment. They want to learn. They want to know. And so you, you have you, the, your, their appetite is just voracious, you understand? And so you give them the Bible answer, and they're thrilled. What's the problem with that approach, though? problem with that approach, there's a couple of problems with that approach. One is, what happens on the day you come and they don't have any questions? You understand? They've been controlling. Another problem with that approach is how do you how do you present the Bible subjects in such a systematic way that you prepare them for some of the more important subjects? So there's a couple of challenges. If you write your own Bible studies, I still believe you should plan ahead. Be organized. Be systematic. Use a logical progression of truth. You know, share what will prepare the foundation for um, future lessons. Don't just, don't just go with a random order of subjects. Be careful not to be sidetracked into unimportant or untimely topics. Now, I want to uh, encourage you, I would encourage you, uh, I would encourage you first of all to find a good set of Bible studies to start with instead of writing your own lessons. There could be some Topics that you can't find studies on. And maybe there's some you need to cover with your friends. But a good set of Bible study topic, uh, lessons is a good way to start. 
uh, giving Bible studies, if you haven't given Bible studies before. Now, before we go into the time schedule, I want to talk with you just a little bit about how um, how to arrange your Bible studies. Now, the things I share with you in the next few minutes, they are not they're not Bible truth, you understand? <laughs> they're not some sort of inspired formula that, that um, we've been given in the Bible or Spirit of Prophecy. They are... They are some ideas that I've found to be helpful and the uh, Bible workers I know have found to be helpful. First of all, when you come into the Bible study, you're, you're coming into the person's home usually, right? Not always. Sometimes you might have a Bible study at your home. You can invite people to your home. I know Adventist professionals that on a weekly basis invite their, their patients, for example, to a meal in a Bible study at their home or even at a restaurant. That's possible. Nothing wrong with that. When I'm home... Every Monday nights, I have a Bible study uh, with some non-Adventists in the community. They come to my parents' house. And um, it's just, they have different schedules. They don't come every week. But there's about six or eight that come on a fairly regular basis or have through the years. And so, you, you, you usually, though, have a personal Bible study in a person's home. Where is the ideal place to have that Bible study in the home, you think? That here? The kitchen table? The kitchen table, or we might say if they have a dining room table. But avoid the place where the football game is going on. I mean, on television. Um, if the whole family's not with you. If they are with you and the television's going on, then you might need to... Believe me, you might actually have to ask them to turn the television off. You know, you know how many people today don't even realize their television's running. You may need to. You you have. What I'm saying is, you have to, as it were, take a little bit of initiative to direct the situation and the environment. Suggest where you want to have the Bible studies. The comfortable uh, lazy boy chair and the couch are not the ideal places to have your Bible study, uh, sitting around a table, the kitchen table, the dining room table, the kitchen's got dishes. Uh, these are the ideal places, okay? So, and you, it's, it's better if you can be, as it were, sitting across from the person. It's a little awkward if you're sitting next to the person. You have to sort of sit on the edge of your seat and turn towards them. You can do that, but it's, it's even more ideal if you have a small table and you're right there across from them and you can put your Bible and your lessons out there and you can write and it's just a really convenient place. Start early to establish good habits in Bible studies and it'll go a long ways. They know. As soon as you come, they turn off the TV. They've already cleared off the dining room table, you see. They've planned ahead. And so you avoid those awkward moments. When you get there, what do you do? For the first few minutes, it's good to chit-chat. Uh, you know, you don't want to just come in with a with a, uh, the attitude that I'm a Bible instructor, I'm going to be your teacher, and let's sit down so I can teach you and leave. That's not the, the... You know, you want to have them feel like you're interested in them as a person, right? And so that requires you to spend some time with them. The ideal time to spend time with them is at the beginning of the Bible study, before you have your Bible study. We'll talk about that a little more later. Spend 10 minutes or so making friends, getting to know them, asking them questions. Then move to your situation where you've got the most ideal 
circumstances for Bible studies. It might have to be in the living room, but do the best you can. And as soon as you get into that situation, say, hey, let's, let's go ahead and get started and open with prayer. Why do you open with prayer? Of course, you know that the Bible should never be studied without first praying. But you want them to get into that habit, don't you? You want them to understand, hey, it's not human. It's not the human intellect that leads us to truth. It's the Holy Spirit that leads an open mind to truth, right? It's our, it has to do with our willingness of our heart, and our hearts aren't naturally willing. You know, you can teach a lot in your prayer. You can teach a lot in your prayer. When I pray before I give a Bible study, I pray a prayer something like this, Lord, if you don't open our minds and illumine our hearts, we can't properly apply what we learn today. Help us to have willing hearts, not only be hearers of the word, but doers also. Are you... No, please. I don't think that's wrong to preach a sermon in a prayer or whatever. That's not... I'm really praying that, aren't I? Am I not? I'm really wanting that. But I want them to learn that same habit of saying, Lord, I'm willing to follow your word. I'm going to open your word with with a willing heart. Willing to obey. Make me willing to obey whatever it is that I learn in these pages. So begin your Bible study with prayer. And then your Bible study should not last more than 35 to 40 minutes. Now you, some people say, now what if they really, really, really want to study? I've talked to so many people. I've had students. I've had Bible workers. Well, we studied for four hours yesterday. It was the best study we've had You know what's going through in my mind when I hear about a four-hour Bible study? It's not exactly hallelujah, I'm so happy. I mean, I can't judge, okay? They were there, I wasn't. I don't know, the Holy Spirit may have led them. Maybe the person's going to die in their sleep tonight, and the Lord led them to that. You understand? So, uh, these are not, as I said, these are not inspired rules. But what I have seen, and what I've experienced is that if your Bible studies are too long, you won't have very many of them. Because right now, when they're at this crisis in their life, or whatever the situation is, where they're just soaking it in, they're excited, and they're happy, and they want to learn, they've just been through the Messiah's sanctuary, and they can't get enough. If you stay there until they've had enough, guess what? You won't be coming back. You want to leave them with that appetite unsatisfied. You want to leave them wanting more, hanging, you know, cliffhangers, do whatever you need to do, but leave them wanting you to come back, you see? And the other thing is that if, you know, we live in a world where people are busy. They're really busy. They don't have a lot of discretionary time. And it's true that this week they may have a real high priority and be really excited about giving four hours of their, of their week to you. And that's the way they see it, by the way. At least when they get busier, that's the way they'll see it. But what happens next week when they don't have four hours? You know what they're going to say? I don't have time for a Bible study. Once he comes, we're going to be here for two hours or four hours. And so what do they do? They cancel. Invariably, they start to cancel because they know they don't have four hours or two hours. I don't care if they do want to have a Bible study. I mean, listen, it's between you and God. But as a general rule, you should not have a Bible study that lasts more than an hour. 
People are busy. And if you keep your Bible studies to an hour or even a little less than an hour, you know what they're going to think even if they have a busy week? You'll just be here for 45 minutes. I can do that. It's, it's manageable. It's doable. And believe me, the devil will do everything he can to try to make sure you don't keep having that Bible study on a consistent basis. And so I am a firm believer the Bible study should not be more than about 45 or 50 minutes. After you have your Bible study, the main passage of the main body of your Bible study, you should always have a commitment. The commitment is a very, very important part of your Bible study. It's very easy for a person, you know, especially if you don't have experience. You get to the end of your Bible study and it's a little awkward to ask them a yes or no question. Are you willing to be committed? You see, it's a little awkward. You can make it a little less awkward by saying, I don't know about you, but when I read these Bible verses, when I understand what Jesus has done for me, or when I understand the importance of the Word in my life, I want to make a decision to do such and such. How about you? Ask them. I like the ones where they sign their name. Yes. And then their name. And then it's on the back of their lesson with all those ver- questions and verses. And then at the end of the lesson, you give that to them and they can keep it. They've got that. They can go back and they can look at the commitment they've made and they can go back and they can look at those verses that led them to that decision. You see? And if you start on day one, guess what happens? On week one. The next week, in the next Bible study, they they expect to make a decision. They They intellectually choose. Yes, you don't just make it a habit and they don't even think about it. You want them to think about it. You want them to understand it. Make sure you understand what you're agreeing to. And they agree. And so what happens when you get to the testing subject, such as the Sabbath, or the state of the dead, or clean and unclean meats, or something like this? What happens? They They realize they have to make a decision. You're not just there to give them spiritual entertainment. They now know the Bible better. You're there to lead them to act upon the Word of God. It's the same principle when we do a public evangelism as when you're giving personal Bible studies. After the commitment, you should have a prayer. Always seal that commitment with prayer. You can pray, or if they're comfortable, if they're accustomed to it, they can pray. After you have prayer, probably before you leave, what should you do? Okay, said the next time. Make an agreement next week, this time, same time, same station, whatever it is. And then what? Leave. I've even come to the conclusion that this is, this is probably next to the commitment. It might be the most important part of the Bible study. Leaving. Why? As soon as you start chit-chatting again after your Bible study, inevitably it's not hard for the conversation to go right back to the, the last uh, you know, World Series game or whatever the conversation... You know, understand what I'm saying. It's very easy for your conversation to go right back to... A, you know, you finished, you finished the Bible study, and so it's very easy to go right back into a, a secular conversation. As soon as you do that... You've taken the mind off of what they just learned. No, you want to leave with that 
impression and that conviction and the truths they've read in the scriptures still fresh in their minds so that for the next two hours until their their husband or wife gets or kids get home or whatever the situation is, you understand? It keeps replaying and they keep thinking about what they've learned. You want to leave. Don't stay in chit-chat. But there's always those people that really are lonely. And they won't, they'll hardly let you out the door. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever talked or given studies to someone like that? I mean, they just really, you are their social occasion for the week. There are those. And for those, you might want to find another time during the week to spend time just socializing. (laughs) Or maybe make sure you come perhaps a few minutes early. They're probably not going to be among that group that are going to get too busy for you to come back if you stay over an hour. But do your socializing at the beginning of the Bible study and after the Bible study leave. If you need to, make an appointment. Make an appointment immediately following your Bible study so that you can honestly say, I have to go. I have another appointment I can go to. Your appointment, and be honest, okay? Don't just make something up. But you know what a neat appointment is? To call a friend or a prayer partner after a Bible study, to tell them how it went, and to pray together for your contact. You can make it, set a time, an appointment. And when you're finished with your Bible study, you have an appointment. Do you understand? You need to go. I need to leave. I have an appointment. I've got to go. And so you leave. Leave them with that uh, fresh in their mind. Now, just a just a little bit of a uh, yes. I usually don't. No, and there's different thoughts on that. Um, some would have some would have uh, something for them to do, to read, or to study. If you're going to do that, my uh, some might differ with me, but my recommendation would be that it should be on the same subject that you already studied and had a commitment on. I have seen Bible workers who give them the next week's lesson to do while you're gone. I personally don't think that's a very good idea. I've 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 had uh, situations come up where, you know, they 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 look it over and they read it over and they may do so with a somewhat prejudiced mind. They may give it to a pastor or someone else who sees where it's going, you understand, and and it's really better for you to to bring the lesson when you come to study with them. Keep it while you're studying with them. Then give it to them afterwards for them to review, to go back over. You could give them additional material on that same topic to study. For example, you have, you have other Bible studies. Say you're using the sanctuary lessons and you study the state of the dead or the Sabbath or the law or whatever it is. You understand? You could give them historical, amazing facts, you know, the colorful, uh, historical study on the same topic and say, hey, if you want to do this, uh, similar Bible study, during the week, you can do that, or give them a little Joe Cruz sermon book or something. But I wouldn't give them the next week's lesson. I don't, I don't personally believe that's very effective. So um, now, in that first ten minutes, some of you, or when you know when you're getting acquainted, some of you may be very, uh, what was it, sanguine people, or very outgoing and extroverted, and 
easily make friends and talk very well. Some of you may be more shy and introverted and introspective and um, don't make friends as easily. Um, I, I, I grew up, I was homeschooled, lived in the, in the woods of Arkansas, and I didn't have a lot of friends, and naturally I was really shy. Uh, canvassing helped me, uh, but even as an early teen, I can remember I didn't want to call my best friend on the phone. I was just scared to talk to people. You know, I'm never sure what I'm going to say. And uh, it doesn't mean God can't use you. You can overcome those tendencies. But I'll, I'll tell you honestly, honestly, when I meet someone for the first time, and it's just me and them in the room, I don't always feel very comfortable because I don't know how to talk and make conversation. You understand? If they're not very talkative, what do you say and what do you, what do you do? And so this is just a little idea. FORT is the acronym for Family Occupation. Um, well, now I'm... Religion, yes, and testimony. Family, occupation, religion, and testimony. Four things that you can, you can talk to them about. Everyone has a family or a family story of some sort, right? Uh, everyone, pretty much, I would think, has an occupation. Most people today have an occupation. Most people have some sort of a story with religion. If they don't have a religion of their own, they've had experiences with religion, right? And testimony. So you can very quickly, when you walk into a room, suppose you're in an in a interest home for the first time, what do they usually have around the room? Pictures. And who are the pictures of? Their children, grandchildren, parents, grandparents, whatever. But it's family, right? And so you ask, who is this person? Who's that person? Be careful. You might need to remember who they, who, what their answers are. But, but um, you, can, you can ask these questions and, and learn something about them. Just spend some time asking questions. What does this do? It shows them that you are interested in them, doesn't it? And so you begin building bridges and bonding and, and becoming friends with them. Shows them that you're interested. Your occupation. You're interested, once again, in how they make their living and how they, what type of work they do. And by the way, it's a good thing to have a wide uh, expanse of knowledge. You know, read, be interested in other people's occupations so you know just a little bit about it, you know? Because as soon as you know something little about what they do, they feel, wow, you know, there's this extra bond between you and them. And then ask them about their religion. It doesn't have to be a, a full-blown questionnaire that says, you know, how often do you pray? and how often? You don't have to ask all those questions, but you know, you can ask very non-confrontational questions about their religion. For example, when we were canvassing, we used to like to, you know, the, person's, the person you can sort of tell, you're not sure if they're religious or not, but they're about to say no. And you don't want them to say no. So you have to say something. See, and so they got the book in their hands, and they're going. Mm. And you say, uh, "Oh, uh, do you get to go to church very often?" Now that's a very non-confrontational question. It doesn't ask them what denomination they go, or, and if they don't, it's sort of like, "Well, they don't get to." You see, it's not that they're bad people. I'm serious, you know. I mean, you've just met them for the first time, so you don't want to be saying. Do you attend church regularly and faithfully? But do you get to go to church very often? 
And then that gets them distracted and they talk about their church. Well, they go down here to the, you know, the, the mother of roses or whatever the <laughs> cathedral is. And so the, the conversation is about their religion and shows, again, you show an interest in them. They, they become more comfortable. You're, you're, you accept them for who they are. God accepts us for who we are, doesn't he? So finally is your testimony. Your testimony is perhaps the most important part of how you can witness. And I'd like to, in the 4.30 meeting, I'd like to focus primarily on this part. How to share your personal testimony. Do you know that we are told that our personal testimony combined with a, a, a godly life have an irresistible influence? irresistible influence. I just love those words. They sound they sound so powerful, you know? But share your testimony. It doesn't have to be long. Everyone should have a testimony they can give in 30 seconds or 2 minutes or 10 seconds if they need to. Before I knew Christ, I wasn't very happy. But you know what? Since I became a Christian, I found peace in my soul. That's all a testimony has to be, yes. Yes. Right. Right. And again, these are simply ideas for those of us who find ourselves not knowing what to say. You know? Some of you don't need any fort or any other ideas or acronyms. Some of you can talk and show your love for the person just by being the way you are. Some of us, we need a plan. Okay? <laughs> We need a plan that we can say, hey, when it goes silent, I'm going to have something to fall back on. <laughs> okay? Uh, that's me. I'm telling you. I'm honest. I, I, I just can't make conversation off the top of my head if I don't know a person very well. I don't know what we have in common. Okay. Now, the Bible study itself. How should the Bible study go? It should be a, a very simple format. Now, I want to... Here, let me just show you... Um, this Bible study uh, that I got, it's one of the Sanctuary Bible Studies. Notice the format that it has. You see the title, The Sanctuary Significance Part 2, Man's Mistake in Earth's First Sanctuary. Notice, of course, then it has a subheading, God's Original Plan. Who created man and why? Do you see the format that it has here? A question and then a what? A Bible text or a passage that they're to turn to. A question and then a text. God, who created man and why? Genesis 126, Isaiah 43, 21. This has several texts for each question. What kind of relationship did he desire to have with man? Isaiah 41, 8 and Exodus 33, 11. So th this, is a, this is a classic personal Bible study format with a question and answer. Remember, it started right back there in that camp meeting in the 1800s with S. and Haskell who, where they couldn't hear over the rain and so he began asking questions, giving a Bible text and letting them discuss it and passing that around the, the tent. And this is the format of Bible readings that Ellen White said was a heaven-born idea. And of course, it kept growing into Bible instructors taking the Bible readings from home to home. And finally, they, they published all the Bible readings into the book Bible Readings from the Home Circle. This is the format. And so it's a classic for an, an Adventist history. This is a classic Bible study format. And so it's the question, and then the text, and then the question, 
and the answer. Now, who asks the question, do you think? You should ask the question. You have the, you have the Bible study. Keep it in your hands. What happens if you give them a copy of the Bible study while you're doing the lesson? They've already read it before you get to the first question or two. Right? That's just human nature. They're going to look ahead. They're going to peek. Even Bible students aren't always honest. They cheat. So they're going to look ahead. They're going to try to get ahead. And while you're talking to them about something or asking them a question, they're thinking about something else. So keep it in your hand. Ask them the question. It's really simple, isn't it? What would you, what would you ask? You would simply say, who created man and why? Now, you'll find that some of your Bible study students, they're going to, as soon as you ask that question, what are they going to do? They're going to answer it. God, they know that. At least they know where you're going, if they believe it or not. They, they know the answer. And they're very, they're very excited to show you that they know the answer. But what you want them to understand is, it's not important what I think. It's important what the Bible says. So as soon as they say, you, uh, you ask the question, who created man and for what purpose? They say, God created man. You say, hey, I can tell you, you've already thought about these type of things, haven't you? But let's see what the Bible says. Let's see what the Bible says. Always get them to go to the Bible. It's not important what I think. not important what you think. You don't say it that way. But it's not important what I think. You can say that. It's important what the Bible says. And so you get them to read the question, read the text. Who should read the text? They should read the text. Remember what Ellen White said? Men should read the Bible and examine and judge for themselves. So you go into the Bible, into the home of the Bible study. You lead them to read the Bible for themselves. And then you ask them the question again. Why would you ask the question twice? You've already asked it, then you have them read the text. Why would you ask it again? Okay. The, he said that the more, the more they hear that question, the more impact it'll have. It's true. It's also, yes. Yeah. Often, Practically speaking, often they've, they've just plain forgot the question while they're reading the text. <laughs> okay. They get, especially if they're not used to reading the Bible. Do you notice the Bible can, it seems hard to read for the first few weeks? And so they, they're very, and, you know, Adventists are very upwardly mobile. We tend to be quite well educated. Um, but you'll find many people you're studying the Bible with that don't read very well. And so they're, they're really focused on reading, let me tell you. And you get to the end of the verse and they're very happy. And you ask the question again, and, and they look back over the verse. Now, often when you ask the question again, they're going to have to look at the verse again to see what, how that relates, you see? I'm serious, friends. We are living in a world that has almost, almost done away with cognitive processes in many cases. I mean, they just sit in front of a TV and vegetate. And um, and to think, ask a question, find a, a somewhat abstract answer in that question, which requires cognitive. It sometimes is a little challenge at first. 
Am I being too hard on our society? I hope not. I'm not trying to be negative or anything, but I'm just, I'm just saying it. Sometimes it takes a while for people to, to read a question and to find the answer from the word if it's not the fill in the blank, you know? And so, repeat the question and then allow them to answer it. Who answers it? They answer it. Oh, there's a temptation to help them. I mean, you can help them. There's a temptation to give, the, give them the answer. And as soon as you get in the habit of giving them the answer, they're going to wait for it every time. They're going to wait for it. So lead them to think for themselves. Why? Because when you finish the Bible study, you want them to know it's not something you told them. It's something they saw in the Bible for themselves. And they understood it. And they made a decision based upon it. You do them a disservice when you tell them the answers. They need to see it for themselves and understand it for themselves. So don't tell them the answer. Give, let them take the time, even if it takes a little bit. Maybe you need to take a, a, a parallel Bible with you. It has a modern translation. If they don't have a modern translation, sometimes you need to let them read the verse in a different translation or do a little bit of a paraphrase of the verse for them. Help them, yes, but let them see the answer for themselves. Avoid the temptation to give them the answer. Men are entreated to read, examine, and judge for themselves. Again, we said in Gospel Workers, page 192. And uh, finally, that last part, uh, leave. After confirming next study and appropriate farewells, leave with the thoughts of the lesson still upon the mind of the student. I want to share with this, you this uh, last statement, Gospel Workers, page 192. God will not permit this precious work for him to go unrewarded. He will crown with success every humble effort made in his name. Is that a precious promise or what? God is very willing to work with us. It's really simple, isn't it? Is giving Bible studies intimidating? Not really. If you have a plan, isn't this fairly simple? But what my students always say this. What if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? What should you do? Admit it. What's that? Yeah, I say, you know what? That's a really good question. That's always the best, yeah. That's a really good question. I don't know. But I'm sure the Bible must have an answer. Let's search this week and come back next week and see if we can, we can find out what the Bible has to say. Have you failed? Are you a failure? Do you think that they no longer respect you as a Bible instructor? No. They know you're human. They still respect you. And they know that you're not, just give, you're not just wanting to give them a philosophy or an idea or a theory or your, your idea, your answer. They know you want to have an answer from the Bible. Very important. This may seem very simplistic, but you don't know how many Bible studies I've seen that could have been improved with just some basic principles. And you don't know how many people I've met that said, oh... That's all there is to giving a Bible study? I can give a Bible study. Can you give a Bible study? Can all of you give a Bible study? I don't think there's anybody here who can't give a Bible study. I really don't believe it. I, believe, I have seen kids give Bible studies. They have a simple plan. Share the Word. Share the Bible. It's not difficult. It's not, in, 
it's not that intimidating. God can use you, but have a plan. And uh, watch the Holy Spirit work. Now, this, this afternoon, I want to find out how many of you would like to be involved in giving Bible studies. We're not just going to talk here. We're going to put it into action. There are people who need to be studied with, right? And so we've prepared a little, uh, a little card for you to contemplate here this afternoon. Don't worry. You're not going to be forced to do anything. It's of your own free will. But what is the promise? God will not permit this precious work to, for Him to, be, to go unrewarded. He will crown with what? Success every humble effort made in His name. Right? Do you want to be successful? Do you have to do something great? Humble efforts, right? It could just be studying the Bible with one person or two. And friends, I think that this group would be remiss to allow hundreds of Bible study contacts from the Messiah's mansion to go unfollowed up with personal effort, to allow them not to be followed up with personal effort. I think that'd be a mistake. I think you're putting people where it's harder to reach them in the future. And so we shouldn't limit the Bible studies just to this group. Can I have one? We shouldn't limit the Bible studies just to this group. But those of you who are here, I would really encourage you to prayerfully consider what times of the week, what hours of the week, what portion of the week you might be able to commit to helping share the Bible with somebody else. Would you be willing to do that? Would you like to see success that God can give you? through giving Bible readings. Just put your name here, your phone number or email, the best way to contact you. And then indicate here on this list, indicate here on this list what days or hours of the week would be best for you. That way, if there are people who are requesting Bible studies, they can match them up with people who are willing to give Bible studies. I don't know all the details, okay? You'll have to stay posted. But I'm quite sure that they'll have perhaps the sanctuary studies that have been designed to go right along with this mosaic tabernacle prepared and, and provided for you. They're a very good set of Bible studies. Some of my students were involved with it this summer in Wichita, Kansas. The sanctuary was there. The call porters were there canvassing, going door to door. The Bible workers were there giving Bible studies. And then they had an evangelistic series all in the same summer. That's a good plan. It's a good plan. Yes. What a wonderful opportunity. Doors are open to go into people's homes and study the Bible with them. 
We can't let this pass us, can we? We can't miss this opportunity. We have to take this opportunity. Do all of you get a, a, a card for you to indicate? Do any of you need pens or pencils? Some other way of filling them in? How should we collect them? Should we just pass them to the end of the row? Why don't you just pass them to the middle of the aisle if you've had a chance to fill them out? And... Um, I am just so excited for what's happening right here in Loma Linda, Southern California, people requesting Bible studies. God is going to bless. God is going to bless you as you, uh, as you share with them as well. Let's bow our heads forward of prayer. Father in heaven, I want to pray that you take these commitments, these uh, indications of a desire to to share your word, Bible readings with others. I want to pray that you'll take them, take each person and use them in a mighty and powerful way. Lord, you've, you've, told that we'll, you've said that we'd be amazed at the humble means with which you finish your work. And it may just be a matter of us taking our Bibles and sharing your truth with our neighbors and friends. So Lord, I just want to pray that you'd bless us here. I want to pray that you'll bless even as we speak the Messiah's mansion and the the many people who are right now having a tour and having their their hearts opened to your truth. Lord, let these opened hearts be filled with the knowledge of your word. Let there be faithful Adventists in this community who can meet each request for Bible studies and that your word might uh, find an entrance into the good hearts and that they might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus or to a, a better knowledge of the more abundant life he has to offer. So I just pray that you'll bless them uh, and bless us as we seek to reach them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.